Yeah. So kind of like a traditional burr, once we're done, so they'll give you a construction loan during the construction. And then once you're done, you can kind of... Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey, everybody. Sarah Larby here. Do you know what a BRRRR stands for? I bet you think, well, it's a buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. This podcast, though, is a burr on steroids. It actually stands for, in this case, Build, Rent, Refinance, Repeat. And that's what my guest, Natalie Cloutier, has been able to do successfully with her husband. And this is probably one of my favorite podcasts when it comes to how much insight, how many tips, uh, suggestions, breakdown of how to do this process Thank you, Natalie. I mean, this uh, was so insightful and she really is able to share a ton about the processes. I mean, we could have kept talking for, for hours, but I'll tell you, this podcast is awesome. And uh, she's been able to use the birth strategy, build, rent, refinance, repeat, and has done so successfully in the Ottawa region. And, you know, I'll tell you, if you are interested in doing a build, building your own fourplex or duplex or, or single family property, this is going to be a great podcast for you. I hope you enjoy today's show and don't forget to leave a rating and review. Until next week, guys, see you soon. Natalie, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, Sarah. How are you? Good, good. We were talking a little bit before this and we were speaking in French. So you yes. are also a Francophone uh, bilingual as well. Uh, yes. Tell us a little about your background and, uh, and where you are from and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm from Ottawa, east of Ottawa, and um, my husband and I met in college. We studied uh, architectural technology. Uh, so we have kind of a background in that and we have a background in construction. Uh, yeah, so it's a very French community, but it's also very bilingual. Um, but uh, yeah, so we we do new builds. We invest in uh, in long-term rentals, but we build them from the ground up instead of doing the traditional burr. So I still call it birds, just that it's a three R burr instead of a four R burr. And it's basically just build, rent, refinance, repeat. Um, so that's our strategy. It's kind of a different take on it, um, but we love it so far. It's definitely more um, labor intensive, I guess, but it's been very good to us. So, um, so that's, that's our kind of summary of ourselves. It's <laughs> cool. It's, it's like a burr on steroids, right? You're, you're buying your building, you're renting, and then you're essentially refinancing to repeat it. Uh, and, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I think that's really cool. So, so me personally, I actually have three pieces of land. I'm, I'm doing that on uh, starting in February onwards, by the time this airs, we'll be in it. How, yeah, did, you get in, how did you get into the, uh, I guess the, the burr on steroids? <laughs> how did I get into it? So yeah, yeah. we actually started with um, a, a new build loan for our own home. So it's actually a lot easier to do this if it's for your primary residence. And it's a lot more difficult to get lending when it's for a, an investment property, obviously, because as it always is. Um, but we did this, we weren't planning on getting into investing at all. So when we graduated from college, we bought uh, a condo, like a really, like a basement condo, a really cheap thing. Um, and 
four months in, we realized, okay, we are not condo people. Like we want a garage, we want a yard. So, um, but we didn't have any money to our, uh, to ourselves. Like we had just graduated. We didn't have any bad debt either, but we just, we didn't have any money. So my parents kind of told me about this loan that they used to do back in their day, which is called an, um, an auto construction loan that's in the French world. And I'm not sure if it's the same um, in English because we use La, La Caisse des Jardins. Um, so of course, very French Institute, but they're very good with new build loans. And what they do with that loan is basically they will, let's say you, um, you get your plans drawn up for your house and you'll get it valued. They'll get it appraised and they'll say, okay, for easy math, uh, the home is worth hundred K. So they will lend you 80% of that value. And it's up to you to build it for that amount. So you basically have to replace your down payment with your labor. You have to be able to build that with your labor so you can save enough money to, to use the money that they're lending you. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, uh, so basically it's a way to replace your down payment when you don't have any money. It's like I said, it's a lot more labor intensive, but <clears throat> excuse me, but it's, it's definitely a lot more um, lucrative. So that's what we did. We bought a piece of land and we were able to get the uh, loan for the land incorporated into the loan for the construction. They gave us a value for a house and then they said, okay, we're lending you 80% of everything. And then they give it to you in progressive draws as the construction um, progresses. So uh, we did, what did we do? We did, um, we obviously the project management is a big factor in it. Um, and then we were able to do all our drawings because we studied in architecture and then uh, we did like all the drywall, all the finishings, the electrical. Um, so the big stuff we hired out for, but the stuff that we could take on, we did it with fr the help with friends and family. And then we planned for a basement apartment. So we did a basement apartment to kind of house hack it and have that extra income coming in because we were only like 19 or 20 years old at the time. We didn't make big salaries. We wanted to make sure we had enough income. So we planned it for that. And then um, after a year or so, when we had that apartment finished, we were able to kind of remortgage and get a HELOC. And then with the HELOC, we just kept going from there and we were able to, to branch out into investment properties and but the same kind of concept. It is a really cool concept. So essentially just to, you know, to take a step back. So Desjardins is also in Ontario and I'm guessing they're probably in Canada as well. Now, yeah, you essentially find a piece of property, you put an offer on that piece of property, then you went to Desjardins and said, I bought this for simple math, like you said, 100 grand. And they said, well, you know, once you have a house on here based on your plans, you put your plans together based on your plans, your house is going to be worth 300. So is it so do they give you 80% so of that 300 then? Yeah, exactly. So the, 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 you can usually, sorry, they can incorporate the loan for the lot into the mortgage of, um, of the construction itself. So if I remember the numbers to my house, I can give you a more concrete example. We bought the lot for 80 grand and then the house was valued at 385. And so they kind of said, okay, well, we're going to be able to give you the 80 grand to buy your lot. Um, and that was kind of part of the first progressive draw. It's, it's a little complicated to explain, but once you're explained to like, I'm not a, I'm not a financial person, so I don't have all, maybe all the right terms. Um, but, um, so they, they put that 80 grand kind of part of that first draw. Um, so 
the uh, so you're able to start the construction and then you kind of you might have to put a bit of your own money down to get the ball rolling from there and that to get like your permit and start digging and all that but then once they go back and appraise to see how far you've gone onto the construction well then they kind of reimburse you and they pay you back and then you keep going up until you're done with the construction and hopefully if you build conservatively enough you're able to do it for the exact 80 percent that they they give you right yeah. i don't know if i answered your question well yeah, no, that, that's good. So it, it sounds like a mortgage plus improvement, which a lot of lenders yes. have that, right? So you're, you're yeah. doing the renos and then at each stage of the reno, they come and see you're at, you know, a step further than they do the draw. They give you the money. So you have to have a little bit of money up front, but it sounds like in this case, they probably loaned it to you to begin with. And then you went from yeah. there, which, which is awesome. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so that, I mean, that is a really cool concept. So you, you built this secondary unit, that property that you moved in house hacked, built a secondary unit, you know, let's fast forward to today. And what does your portfolio look like today? So today we have, so we sold a couple properties uh, between this year and the last, just because the values had gone up and we wanted to kind of recycle that capital uh, back into bigger projects. Um, I think we are at 13 doors, but we have, we're under construction with two fourplexes. Uh, so we have a couple duplexes, including our house. And then um, we bird like a traditional bird last year. So that was our first renovation. So yeah, 13 doors. We should be at 20 doors by the end of the year, by the time the constructions are done. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the, the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Awesome. So is, is it fair to assume that since you started and you got the HELOC, you've been essentially using the banks, the lender's money to be able to scale to you what you have today? Yeah, so uh, kind of like a traditional burr. Once we're done, um, they, so they'll give you the um, they'll give you a construction loan during the construction, and then uh, once you're done, you can kind of remortgage for the full value. Once you have your leases signed and everything, you can go back and say, okay, like it worked. The construction is done. It cost me this much to build, and now you can because 
to, to kind of explain when you're doing your appraisal, if anybody is familiar with the appraisal process, you have to go through the cost approach, the market value, and then the income approach, right? So they give you three different kinds of value. And usually what they'll do with the, is that the bank will only give you 80% of the, of the uh, cost approach. So you're getting a lot less, but then once you've got your leases signed and they can kind of confirm the income approach, well, then you can go and get your mortgage for uh, 80% or 70% or whatever the LTV that they're, that they're willing to give you uh, for the full value. So for your, either your market value or your income approach, depending on the bank. Um, so, so, so yeah, so that's actually refinance and you can get, you know, maybe your property, even though they said it might be worth 385, it could be worth 500 when it's all said and done and you've got leases in hand. So at that point in time, it just looks like it sounds like a, a regular appraisal. Right. Right. So like if I, I can give you an example for one of the fourplexes we're doing now, um, this one was appraised, the market value was appraised at, I think about a million. Um, and then they said, okay, so uh, the construction, the cost approach is um, six. I don't remember the numbers exactly, but I'll just give you about, it was about 600 something. So they gave us 80% of that and we're building it for that amount. So we're, again, my husband's in there and I'm in there sometimes too, to do a lot of the work ourselves. And then when the construction is done and we've got our leases signed, well, then they'll be able to give us the 80% of that initial market value loan of the, of the 1 million. Uh, so then if we decide to go up to that 80%, which we probably won't because we don't want to be leveraged too high. We want it to cash flow well. We'll just go pull out what we need so that we can put it on to the next one and always kind of roll over that money into the next projects, maybe do bigger projects. Um, we've also paid down a property to have a large HELOC on it so that we can always use our own HELOC to roll it over make things go quicker or to buy lots cash when the deal comes up. You can just kind of jump on it and not have to wait for the financing approval. So that's kind of how we're doing. We're constantly rolling over uh, that money into the next projects. You're doing the repeat stage over and over, which is awesome. Yeah, exactly. Is it, have you always worked with the same lender then or have you maneuvered around over, over the, the years? No, so we've always worked with the Desjardins and um, they, they just, we've been told that they have the best type of loans. They can be a pain to work with though. Like I'm, I'm not going to lie, um, but so far we went to see another broker like in downtown Ottawa to see if she could do something better once. And she basically said, you know, they are the best people, the, the best Institute to work with for a construction loan. Not many banks are because it is a bigger risk type of loan, right? You don't have, the, you don't have anything. You know, they don't have anything to fall back on. If something happens, if the construction doesn't go well, you can't really easily resell a half built property. So it's definitely a bigger type of risk. Um, so we've always dealt with them, but we have done a private loan once because uh, we were, we were building our first fourplex last year and uh, we had gotten approval from the bank. Everything was going well. And then the day before we were supposed to go buy our $40,000 permit, the bank came back and say, Oh, wait a minute. I think uh, there's something going on and I, we're not sure anymore. So it like halted our project. We had already started, like we had dug, we had poured the footings and everything. Well, we hadn't poured the footings, but the, Footings were ready to be poured as soon as we got that, uh, that permit. So we kind of freaked out and it, it pushed us outside of our comfort zone to go find a backup. So we found a private lender. We spoke to our, uh, our lawyer and our accountant and they kind of put us in contact with these different type of people. And we found someone who was willing to loan and um, it took about two weeks which was awesome because it, we had been six months in conversations with the guys to get that loan. So two weeks with the private lender and we had our money, we were good to go. 
And, uh, and that was when the guys came back and said, Oh, you know what? We're fine. It was just a mistake. You're good to go. And we're like, yeah, well, it's too late now. <laughs> like too little, too late. Um, so I definitely recommend private lending. It's just that it costs you a lot more in interest, right? During the construction. So you have to have that cash flow to support it. Absolutely. I definitely think you have to have a backup because that situation is, is going to happen at some point with somebody else or something else. And it's just always important to have a backup so that you can close. And then worst case scenario, you, you go to Desjardins or whoever it was that you exactly at, at that point. But yeah, definitely it costs, it costs more money. So, I mean, I wouldn't mind if, if you're open to it, just walking us through, you know, like a, a fourplex. It sounds like you're doing a few of these fourplexes from the acquisition stage, like what you look for when you're, you're purchasing the land. And let's just go through each of the BBRRR steps. Uh, <laughs> and, and you can walk us through that if you don't mind. So let's start with, with buy. Uh, you know, when you're looking at land, maybe the, just the last one or the last two that you've done, what are some things that you consider that you suggest that somebody consider if they want to build a fourplex? So definitely zoning is the first thing you got to check. It's very difficult to find zoning that allows for a traditional type of fourplex. However, in Ontario, what kind of pushes us over the edge that gives us that advantage is that they passed a bill a couple of few years ago. I think, I don't know how many years ago, but it's called Build 140 where they accept uh, accessory dwelling units. So that basically means that you can build like a semi-detached. So you just need to look for R1. Like it, it, it's different in, in every type of, uh, in every municipality. I mean, in our municipality, I think it's R1 something. There's a letter at the end. And basically you just have to make sure that you can do R1. You can do a semi-detached, a side-by-side duplex, but you are allowed to add accessory dwelling units or so basement units uh, really in. Um, and then that's how you kind of make it into a fourplex. So what that means is that, to get that approved, you basically have to build the semi-detached and you don't even talk about the accessory dwelling units. And then once you get your occupancy permit, then you can go and apply to do an accessory dwelling. Uh, like right after you're done the top units, you can go and start into the basement units. So that's what we look for. You got to make sure that you can do that type of zoning. And I'm pretty sure that's everywhere. That's a provincial bill that they pass. So everywhere in Ontario, you can do that. I don't know if they have that in other provinces though. Um, so that's the biggest advantage of knowing that, uh, kind of bypass and like the city knows too. most municipalities know that this is how you get around to building fourplexes. Um, so that's what we look for. That's the first thing. And then of course, to make sure that the width of the lot, like you just have to do your research on zoning. And I always, always recommend to people to have a pre-consultation with the city, sit with the city and ask them if possible, even do it by email so that you have it in writing, but make sure that what you want to build, you, what, what you can, right. That it's allowed because just last year can give you an example like we were getting I guess a little cocky you know we thought oh we did our research on the zoning everything's fine we'll buy this lot we'll build we were going to build a triplex on it so a duplex with a so a top and bottom duplex with a secondary dwelling unit and uh turns out we missed a provision in the bylaw that said um you can do an accessory dwelling unit but only in a horizontal duplex so a side by side but not in a vertical duplex we missed that. That was like another provision that was really far uh, beneath the zoning. And we only found out after the whole triplex was designed, after the uh, grading plan was done and right while we were applying for permits. So we basically wasted months of work there where we had to go back to the drawing board and redesign. Um, we even had to apply for a minor variance to make a side-by-side uh, fourplex work because uh, the lot was a little... Um, um, 
thinner. <laughs> it was a little bit more narrow than a typical side-by-side uh, duplex. Yeah, side-by-side -side, uh, duplex. So anyways, that was a whole lesson learned. So I always tell people, talk to the city, try to have it in writing, tell them, like, don't try to hide stuff. Tell them your intentions of what you want to do and then let them talk and see what they find on it. But make sure that they're okay with the, the intentions of your project and they have your support or else it's not going to work. Right. So yeah, absolutely. So great. So great advice on the zoning. And you mentioned drawings and you mentioned planning. So, you know, let's just say somebody checks the zoning and the zoning's fine. You know, what, what would be the next step right afterwards to, to do? So obviously make sure you can, yeah, obviously make sure you can get uh, financing. Right. So, um, so what I usually do is have a budget prepared. Um, you can either talk to like, we have experience in this. So my husband was an estimator. And um, so like, we know our costs by now, we can easily do a budget. But if you're new to this, um, you could talk to maybe a local builder and ask them to give you a budget of what it would cost. And you might have to pay his time to do that, but whatever, it might be worth it. Um, or you can just go trade by trade and get all of your quotes in for that project and have a budget ready and then have an appraisal ready. So hire the, the appraiser, pay the fee. It might be 900 bucks. It might be 750, whatever. This is what you'll need to get a loan, whether it's private loan or traditional financing, whatever. Um, they need to know to make sure that your costs are going to be less than your, your value. So if you're in a market where you can buy a property for 150 K, chances are it's not worth for you to build because the property values are a lot lower. So you have to make sure that your cost versus value definitely work. Um, so I always say you need to spend the time on getting your budget and all that done, get your appraisal done, get your, your design process, everything done, and then go see your lender because you're going to essentially, you're going to shave some months off because the lender is going to require all this information either way. And you, for yourself, you might as well know if this is a lucrative project or not. So, um, the thing is, it's difficult to do when you don't have a lot in like if you already don't have the lot and if you're making an offer conditional upon getting financing, um, what I usually say to do is that put in the condition on the, on your lot that you need to get financing for the lot itself, not just for the project, or you could do it for the project too. But at least this gives, even if you have the cash to buy the lot, um, put in the condition and have the conversation with the institute wherever you're you're getting your loan from because it'll at least get the ball rolling you'll be able to know what kind of um, stuff they're going to be looking for out of it uh, and then you'll be able to tell them what you want to build so you just have to make sure that you can get it done and in worst case buy the lot and make sure that you can sell it again just don't overpay for for anything especially these days in this market People are overpaying I find for a lot of stuff um, although maybe not maybe the market will keep increasing just try to keep the emotions out of it and stick to your numbers and stick to your gut. If you lose it because somebody else is willing to bid higher on it, maybe you should just let it go. So try to keep your numbers as low as possible because if you spend too much on your lot, it's going to make a huge impact on your construction costs and your cash flow down the line and it might not be a good deal anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great advice. I mean, the other thing, couple things I can think of is if you're like in an environmentally protected zone or like a, a flood zone or some of those things like would be, you know, in addition to seeing, could you build a fourplex on that? There's probably some things with the land that you've got to make sure that you're not, you know, going into certain yep. types of lands. Just, you know, are, is there any feedback that you can give us on that? So it's definitely a good point. Um, usually you'll have that kind of impact if it's a commercial lot, because a commercial lot, you'll have to do those environmental impact studies um, 
to get permits or whatever, even just to get financing. Um, if the lot is residential and if it's typically like if, if it's in a, a good um, zone, like a residential zone, you should be fine. Plus, you'll be able to kind of um, uh, you'll be able to know if you need any of that stuff just talking to the city when you're when you're doing your pre-consultation with the city. So that's part of your condition when you're making an offer on the lot. It's to make sure that you can get a satisfactory building permit. And you basically just say, I want to build this. What kind of issues do you see with this? And what kind of um, hoops am I going to have to jump through? And that's where I say, you know, let the city talk and let the city find out what would happen. So if you do have to do all those environmental studies and all those uh, all that stuff, they will tell you and then you'll know if if it's worth it or not, because environmental studies are a huge, huge cost and um, definitely try to avoid those unless you're building a big, like uh, like a 12 unit or something, then it might be worth it in your in your soft costs, right? Yeah, and if, and if phase one is, is different than a phase two environmental, yeah. right? So, I mean, yeah. once you get, like if it doesn't pass phase one and you're spending, I don't know, 20, 25 grand doing a phase two, I mean, that's when you might want to say, mm, this might not be worth it, depending. Uh, exactly, yeah. And chances are, most of the times, if you're just sticking to small multifamily, any type of environmental study won't be worth it, your, your time and your money. So it's, it's worth it, like I said, for anything like in bigger multi-units. We're looking at doing bigger multi-units too, and we're looking, we know that this is the type of soft cost we're going to have to put up. Uh, but I've never had to encounter that for a small multi-family. Okay. No, that, that's, I mean, that's right, right? Because there's residential and there's commercial criteria. Yeah. So you're, you know, in the smart, you're doing this, you've got the background, you've got the education, somebody that's starting out, who are some of the key people they need to have uh, on their team to do a build? Like, so for example, when you're doing a renovation or you're doing a conversion, a BCIN designer is going to be great because they can do the drawings, the permits, they go to the city back and forth, contractor, like who are some of the, the key members on your team? You've got the lot, it's been approved, you know, what do you do next and who do you bring on uh, to help you? So I always say like the two people that help us a lot in our business is our lawyer and a real estate lawyer and our accountant. So our, our accountant is kind of, he's the same, um, he, he, he does the same type of business as us. So he's also building fourplexes and stuff. So he's in there. He really knows what you need for um, tax purposes and how to, how to do that stuff. There's also, I forgot to mention too, if ever you're doing um your residential, your, sorry, your primary residence, if you're building, there's the uh, HSD rebate that you can go and get, which is uh, a really good uh, tool. That's what we use to, to we use that money to do our uh, basement unit. So again, that was due to our really good accountant that did all the paperwork for that and got us the maximum amount that we can get. Um, so definitely get one of those. <laughs> and um, yeah, so BCIN designer, like you said, definitely, I, I don't, I don't do architects. I find architects is that's a different ball game. That's a lot more expensive and complicated, mostly for a larger scale projects. So a BCN designer is perfect. Um, and then if you don't have a lot of experience in construction, it might not be a bad idea to talk to a contractor, maybe even, um, if you're planning on doing a lot of the work yourself, it would not be a bad idea to maybe ask to shadow that contractor for a few months to see how he does. Um, and you might even have to pay him for his time, you know, because you're kind of, he, he has to teach you, but it could be good because jumping into a construction, if you're planning on doing it yourself and you've never done this before is definitely overwhelming. It's not too bad if it's your own home. I feel like you can figure that out, but it, when it becomes a fourplex or anything of the type, um, there's a lot of stuff to think about. There's a lot of stuff that could go wrong that you need to maneuver through. So, um, 
so might maybe so far a lot of the people that we've spoke to that have never done this before usually hire a project manager someone like ourselves who can take on the project and they pay us a fee and we take care of the build and then they, they are obviously their costs are a lot higher because they have to pay the fee but um they shadow us at the same time so they know what we do they learn from it and then they can take on the next one after that maybe um so i would recommend that and um what else uh, if you don't have any rental properties, uh, if you've never had rental properties before, get uh, in line with the laws about that. Try to know that too before you get into it because it's in Ontario, tenants are very uh, protected. So you have to know your stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's all I can think of for now. If you've got that team down, you're pretty good. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have you can also reach out to him instagram which is at blackjack contracting inc and like he says he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives so when you have blackjack on your side the house always wins i will also add that there is currently a ban as of april 4th on new permits so he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted so that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting so guys 100 percent i recommend blackjack contracting i will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. So definitely the team and that's the, on the buy side. And then, and then when you start building, like what are some of the things that we should be aware of? I mean, timelines or the, some of the stuff that maybe you've experienced recently that were uh, surprises or aha moments. Um, but if there's anything that you can share just about the building piece uh, as it's going along. Yeah, sure. So um, you, you mentioned timeline. So I can give you an example of timelines. Again, that, that depends uh, greatly on if you have like a builder building for you, if you're doing it yourself, obviously it's going to be a lot slower if you're doing it yourself. Um, and uh, like a, a single family home can take three to four months, whereas our fourplex last year took us nine months. But now the same fourplex we're building this year, it's, we're shaving off at least two months off of it because we've done it before and it's, you know, we're, we're getting the hang of it. It's a lot easier. Um, so timeline, it definitely depends. Sorry, what was your initial question? 
just just during the build, right? Some of the right, things right. That, that we should be considering that maybe you didn't know when you first started that you found out along the way of you know, a project. Yeah. So I always say um, your initial surprises are going to come from bringing up the structure. Uh, like when you're digging in the land, you know, you never really know what you're going to find. Um, you could be like we found um, uh, rock um, where you have to blast it there. I'm sorry, I'm losing the, the, the name in my head, but they're like the whole soil was basically rock. And uh, yeah, we had to dig all of that out. We took out like, I think, four triaxles of just rocks that so that was that blew the budget obviously um so once you're kind of past that once you've got your footings in and you've got uh you've got your foundation poured you're pretty much good to go you know you never know what you can find in the soil also though um framing you have to make sure that your plans are well drawn that there are no like hopefully if you know construction and if you don't know construction have maybe a framer review them um, make sure that there are no mistakes that everything is clear because if it's not then you can have delays in the framing you can have a lot of unexpectedness there or your trusses could have like in in our in our um, our last fourplex we had uh, problems with the the trusses they didn't ship them the right size and we didn't notice it like on the trust package when they initially sent it to us so um you know mistake on both parts there so that kind of delayed us but um that's why i say you really kind of have to have if you've never done this before it's good to have someone there to coach you because you can definitely run into stuff and you have to know how to deal with it um so i think that once you're all framed up though you're basically coasting until the end there's not much surprises there um so that would be, yeah, I think that would be the only thing. Also, um, if you're doing a fourplex where you have to do um, road cuts, so you have to cut in the road to get your services connected to the, to the, like the sanitary, the water and stuff like that, um, that can be a huge cost. And you might want to get an estimate on that before with an excavator um, and uh, the city even to see because that could be 20 grand and uh, like it can be a lot less, could be five grand sometimes. Um, also hydro, connecting to hydro. If you have to add a pole or something, it could be like 5K a pole. Um, the last fourplex we did cost us, I think, 18,000 in connection fees with hydro, whereas the one before that was 5K. So you try to get uh, quotes for those and plan for the worst. So definitely have a good contingency budget in your construction budget. We always try to have like $40,000 in a fourplex and then maybe half of that for like a duplex or something like that. You just, you, you never know. And, but once all of that is done, you know, there's no more surprises. The worst is done and you're just coasting until the end. Uh, that's where we are now with our two fourplexes. So we're happy, but the beginning is always a little more stressful. <laughs> Yeah. And how does, how does the different seasons affect the build? Like, do you plan to start at a certain time? Cause I mean, the ground is going to be harder in, in certain months. Like, you know, do you have, do you have a strategy for that? Um, we always try to do it first thing in the spring um, because there's like this thing with the, the shipping of the material, the half loads, like half loads is cheaper when it's in March until April or something like that, April or May. And then, so you, if you can ship all of your, your wood um, and all your material on site during the half load season, then you're, you're, I think you're saving a whole bunch of money. I don't remember how much. Um, so we try to do it then. It's just that it's very hard to plan for it because you never know if like our, with our, our triplex that ended up being a fourplex while we were, if everything would have went as per plan and we would have, could have done the triplex. Yeah. We would have started digging in May and coasted up until whenever it was done. Uh, but then, and we got delayed and delayed and delayed. So we ended up starting only in September of this year, or I think it was something like that. So um, it's hard because permit processes can be lengthy. 
Um, you have to really know and you have to like it and just getting your financing can take a while too. So we always try to plan for the spring and try to avoid winter because you'll have more fees with winter. You'll have like they, uh, they have to heat up for the cement. They have to heat up for the stone. So you have um, more costs for that. But at the same time, sometimes the trades are a little less busy in the winter. So you get better service. Whereas in the summer, they're crazy busy and you have to wait longer for them to come on site. So honestly, there's not much strategy there. We just try to start. We try to do all our planning during the winter time and start first thing in the spring. The issue is that everybody else does that. Right. So it becomes like you're competing for time with the, with everyone else. So in the end, you just kind of do what you can do. And you, like we started our two fourplexes, uh, well, because of the pandemic, mostly we couldn't get our permits until I, I don't remember which month. I think it was August. So constructions didn't start until August, September. So now we're in it for the winter until it's done. Yeah. I mean, definitely interesting, right? I mean, there's, it's not like it's like an easy, like do it all the, all the time on this month. Cause you've got, like you said, you got pros and cons to, to both. Have you ever looked at modular homes or prefab homes where, you know, essentially they make it all and then they just, you, you get the foundation ready and then they come in and build it essentially in a matter of a couple of weeks. <laughs> if that. We, we have, um, it's just that the, it's not the same in terms of costs. Like we save so much money doing it ourselves and like by having, um, construction, um, accounts with, uh, with your building supplier or whatever, you have a lot of discounts with that when you're a contractor. So it's just, um, the cost wasn't worth it for us. Plus when you start asking for like a custom fourplex, it's just like, it becomes out of their scope and it becomes complicated. And so we didn't look enough into it to actually make a decision. We just know that the cost for us isn't worth it. Plus we've got all our systems in place. Like our construction processes are all done that we don't really want to try something new. Maybe, maybe one day we will. Um, I just, I also don't know how much time you really do save because Yes, they'll get like the structure done and, and they'll drop it off on site, but then you also have to tie it all together. You still got to get your trades in there to finish it up. Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that it's for the money that the extra money that you're, that you're going to spend. I'm not convinced you're going to save that much time, Okay, but I would have to do more research, more extensive research to really give you a legit answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because you, you seem like you've got something that, that flows really well and it's, and it's smooth and it's quick and, and it works for you. So, I mean, I, I do agree. I mean, I was looking at the, at the cost of it, I think last before COVID happened and everything. Um, and, and cost per square foot was very, very similar. Uh, you know, but like you said, you still have to have somebody on site and tying it all together and that kind of stuff. But there's pro there's pros and cons for sure. And there might be some companies that, that do it a little bit differently uh, as well, but you know, you've got, you've got something that's working really well. So the next part of the podcast, I mean, we can keep talking about this for, for a long time. I'll have to have it back at, at some point because it's so, it's so interesting and you guys are doing so great. So congratulations. The Thank next you. part of the podcast is our lightning round. So Nat, I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yep. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free customized individualized 90 day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N. C-H-O-M-U-T dot com forward slash Sarah. And now back to the show. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite podcast 
Uh, it doesn't have to be real estate related. Um, so I'm not a huge podcast listener because I'm very visual and listening to a podcast for me, like I get, I, I, I start multitasking and I don't always listen. But when I do listen to podcasts, I love bigger pockets because I just find Brandon Turner really interesting to listen to. Um, and I love yours, not like not looking for extra bounty points, but I really do love yours because it's Canadian based and there's not enough, there's not a lot of them. Um, so I listened to a few shows before in preparation for this one. And like, I found a lot of really interesting information. So I'm going to keep listening to it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Question number two, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Um, I love the Don Campbell books. The, um, the one, uh, the real estate cycle, the Canadian real the secrets of the Canadian real estate cycle. I love that one because it kind of put us in perspective of, of preparing for a market crash um, so we kind of changed our whole portfolio and our structure around it when we, when we read it, um, last year, I think it was, uh, right before COVID. So we were, we were happy. We thought things were going to crash and we were happy we had read that book. Um, and, uh, what other book, there's so many books that I've loved. I've loved the book, uh, by Brendan Turner. Again, the, the yellow book about uh, managing rental properties. That one really changed my whole game on being a property manager and gave me systems. And so love that book. Um, I could probably name you like five. <laughs> Those are great books. I actually have that on my shelf somewhere in the yellow section. <laughs> oh, really? Cool. All right. Next question. Number three, what do you do for fun when it's not anything about work or real estate? We love to travel. Love, love, love to travel. Um, very, very depressed that we can't travel right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, my husband, we've traveled all over and uh, we would we would go back in a heartbeat to anywhere. So um, that's what we like to do. Um, other than that, I would say just hang out with our family. We're very close with our families. Um, so that's that's us. Boring, but... <laughs> no, tra travel's great. Do you have a next place in mind when things open up again and, and uh, this is kind of behind us, this pandemic, a, a favorite place that you want to go to? Well, right now I just need warmth. So I want to go somewhere hot. I want to go like, it could be Florida for all I care. I just want to go somewhere warm because I, I hate winter. Um, so this winter is going to be definitely a very long one. Um, but we were actually supposed to go to Paris in April when this pandemic started. So our, our trip got canceled. We were supposed to go like all around France, drinking champagne, eating cheese and stuff like that. So um, I would love to go back there. Maybe just have that trip that we never had. <laughs> Yeah, no, very cool. I, we had we had a trip planned to either Spain or Italy this year as well. Like we were going to oh. do a bigger trip, and you know, yeah, it, it is what it is. It'll uh, it'll it'll just have to wait a little bit longer. But um, yeah, unfortunately. Question number four: If you lost all of your assets and your money tomorrow, how would you start again? Um. That's a good question. I've been asked that before too, and I never know what to say because I, I feel like the best way to get into any type of investing is house hacking. So I just don't know at what point I would be able to get like a loan on a house again and house hack, um, or else I would just try to find a way to like start a sort of online business or start some type of business where, um, I can get a, an income. But, um, if I could somehow get into real estate again and house hack my way up again, that's what I would do. All right. And last question, number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend that money? House hack. <laughs> <laughs> I really honestly think that it's the best way because real estate obviously is to me the safest kind of investment and house hacking. Um, my friend and I, we always call it house hack. It's like investing in real estate with training wheels. 
-hmm. it's the best way to get started uh, easily with like not a lot of money down and um, and you get to really live in it and learn it so that would be um, that would be my way of if you have 50,000 get a down payment on a house house hack it get that recoup that money back and and keep going yeah absolutely great advice Natalie where can my listeners reach out if they wanted to know more about you or look at your coaching or your options that you offer yeah, we are on Instagram, pretty much only Instagram. So our handle is at the new build couple. And uh, we have a website too, the new although I haven't updated it in a while. Um, but I'm also working on this kind of guidebook about new builds. I have a lot of questions about like, you know, how to get financing and how to, uh, how to acquire deals. So I'm started working. I'm only in like my draft phase, but I'm hoping to have a book out, you know, maybe hopefully within the next year. Very cool. Awesome. And I always ask this question at the end, any final last words of advice for the listeners? Um, don't stop hustling, but at the same time, take a break every now and again, because you can't always hustle. If that makes any kind of sense. <laughs> yeah, it does actually. hundred <laughs> percent. Awesome. Natalie, thank you for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for having me. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.